Well, over the last year, we've been walking through the book of Revelation. Uh, now, many people, they kind of steer away from this book because it can be uh, challenging. Some people I've even heard have said it's kind of scary based upon the uh, beast and the prostitutes and the destruction and the dragon and all these different things. But my hope is that since we as a church have been kind of linking arms and walking through this book together, that the script has been flipped so that this book is no longer confusing but brings about clarity in your life. That this book is no longer scary or domineering or anything like that, yet it is hopeful for us. I pray that it has been a tool for you in your life to help you walk through the craziness of the world that we live in today. As Jordan said, you've been diving into judgments and destructions and all of those different things. Uh, and today we come to Revelation chapter 19 where it shifts from the pain of war to the joy of the wedding, the joy of victory. So if you have a Bible, I would ask you to turn with me or click in your app, Revelation chapter 19. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1 and reading from there. It says this. This is the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. One of the beautiful things about the game of football is the fourth quarter. It's when things begin to get exciting. So things begin to kind of rev up, and an outside uh, force, meaning the fans, play a very large factor in that. So last week when the Titans played the Seahawks, it's coming down to the wires, the fourth quarter, just trying to get through the game. There's no way that that stadium wasn't just rocking. You know the decibel meter, if they had one in there, was really, really high. You see, the Seahawks fans are so loud that they've been, even been called the 12th man. Bring so much noise. People can't communicate. They can't hear. In December of 2013, they set a record for the loudest crowd noise with 137.6 on the decibel meter. That is outrageous. But that didn't last long. The Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead Stadium hit an ear-popping 142.2 in Arrowhead Stadium. You see, the amount of excitement that is taking place in the fourth quarter, and honestly, the amount of excitement that took place in my household when the Titans actually won in overtime, I screamed so loud I made my daughter cry. It was fantastic. Um, but all of these things compiled together do not compare to the noise that we will hear in heaven. You see, all of those stadiums seem like libraries compared to the voice of the saints crying out, hallelujah, and celebrate the victory of our King. As Babylon burns to the ground. You see, there's a great contrast here. While the prostitute has been committing sexual immorality with the world, God has been preparing 
a bride for his son. And now that Babylon has been burned to the ground and Jesus is ready to take his bride, all of heaven celebrates with shouts of hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And and honestly, this only appears four times in the New Testament, and it all appears in Revelation 19. The salvation, glory, and honor belong to our God. Hallelujah. His judgments are just and true. Hallelujah. Babylon is burning to the ground. Hallelujah. Can you just imagine for a moment how loud this actually is? And I don't think it's loud because of just sheer volume of an individual's voice. I think it's loud because of the multitude of people. You see, if you compile thousands of people into a room, all speaking at the level that I'm speaking now, things get loud. And heaven is no small city. It's full of people from all tribes, tongues, languages, and nations. So therefore, as they gather around, they gather together, they're all crying out the same thing. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful thing to sing. Hallelujah. It is a beautiful thing to sing the name of Jesus. Church, do you know why we sing? And it's not because of we're, we're in some program where we say, we sing from this part to this part, and that's it. No, we, our, our singing, our congregational worship has great meaning. Because as we come together and we praise our Heavenly Father, we are celebrating God's justice. We are celebrating God's glory, his love, his power, his mercy. And we are saying in God's presence is where we find joy, not in Babylon. So when we come in here, I encourage you, sing. And I know that's very easy to say because I don't know the baggage that you carry. I would be naive to think that we all don't have some sort of baggage. Different shapes, different sizes, different weights, if you will. But we all have it that continues to pull our eyes off of our Heavenly Father and into our surroundings. Many of you may have a rebellious child weighing you down. Some of you may have had or are having a spouse that is being unfaithful. Maybe your car is just broke. You have health issues, just the weight of the world, the brokenness of losing a loved one. can weigh you down. But church, let me give you some hope. It will not always be this way. You see, when Christ does come again, we are reunited with him in heaven. Brokenness will be no more. There will be no distraction. There will be no uh, weighing down. There will be no sin. There will be no cheating or rebellion or anything like that. It will be perfect. And we will be able to shout hallelujah to our king and to our God. So church, I plead with you in the coming days, continue to speak the name of Jesus, and more so, sing the name of Jesus into your darkness, because he is what is needed to light it up. So we celebrate the victory of our king, but also we celebrate the wedding. 
Grab your Bibles, pick back up in Revelation verse 19, starting in verse 7. It says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made himself ready. Excuse me, herself. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is, right, is the righteousness, righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we've really, really focused in on the prostitute for the last two chapters and the shifts to the bride. So now we are focusing in on the bride. Now think way back. Do you remember Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into wine. I mean, you praise God. <laughs> turned water into wine. And this was at a wedding. Again, this is no coincidence. All of Jesus' ministry is preparation for a wedding. But there are some differences here we have to note about our weddings versus the weddings that happened in that period. You see, a wedding was arranged in that time period between two parents. They would decide who their children would marry. And some of you might be saying, I wish we still did that. And then once that took place, they would enter into what is called a betrothal period. Now, during this period, those two individuals are legally married, but they have not yet consummated their marriage. It is within this betrothal period that the husband, the groom, would then pay the dowry price for the bride. And during this time, the bride would prepare herself to present herself beautiful to the groom when the coming day, the wedding day, would take place. And when the wedding day would once arrive, the groom would go to the bride at her house take her by the hand and lead her to his house where a feast would break out that honestly would last sometimes up to seven days. We get a little frustrated when a wedding lasts three or four hours because you're like, praise the Lord, you're married, but I got to go. I got things to do. Imagine seven days of celebration for a wedding. The cash in our vacation days, huh? (laughs) But the beautiful thing here we need to see is that Jesus chose his pride before the foundations of the world. And the moment that he put on flesh, the moment that he put on flesh, we entered into the betrothal period. And Jesus paid the dowry price for his bride with his life on the cross. And now we seated at the right hand of God waiting for the predetermined moment to where he would come and get his bride and take her. To his house where we would begin to feast and to celebrate, where we cry out, hallelujah. There are two very important theological truths here that we see, salvation and sanctification. Now, if you don't know what sanctification means, it's becoming more like Jesus. It's a $10 word that means that, becoming more like Jesus. If you look at verse 8, it says, it was granted to the bride to clothe herself was granted. This is salvation. 
The bride cannot clothe herself. She can't bring these clean garments. New garments are given to her that are spotless. It says she made herself ready. This preparation period is sanctification. Fighting to look more like Jesus. Fighting to, working to make herself presentable to the groom. I've heard it said that when you have sons, when your sons get married, you get rich because you gain a daughter. And that means, Lord willing, that grandbabies will come eventually, all these different things. But I've also heard it says that if you have daughters, when they get married, you get broke because um, you've got to pay for a lot of things. So uh, I have a two-year-old daughter, uh, so the dowry price is going to be really, really high to, to ensure that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, whether you have a son or a daughter, If the Lord has in their plans for them to get married, it will be a beautiful, beautiful celebration. That takes a lot of preparation, am I right? It's a lot of things to navigate through. And honestly, a lot of it falls upon the bride. The bride begins to comb through venues. They comb through playlists, the guest list, uh, hair, makeup, nails, the wedding party. Are you going to have a theme or not have a theme? All of these different things. And the groom is just worried about watching ESPN and playing video games. Because if we're honest, he probably don't care about the wedding day. He just wants to get to the wedding night. The bride also spends a lot of time on her appearance. Hair, makeup, and nails, and the dress, and jewelry, her bouquet, to present herself beautiful to the groom. I'll never forget when my wife and I got married. We actually got married here at the creek. Uh, we got married out here in your back 40. Uh, there was a lot of preparation that went into that. I had to bush hog the field, had to bring in trailer loads of dirt, because I don't know if y'all have had dinosaurs out here, but y'all got some craters out there, okay? <laughs> I had to fill those things in, even some ground out. But one thing we did not prepare for was chiggers. So everybody got a wedding gift when they came to our wedding. So you're welcome if you came to that. Uh, but... Uh, we're, I'm sitting under this awning, and Amy Hood, who is Pat Hood's uh, wife, a um, l- little background about me, I grew up in their household. My home life was very shaky, so I often went over there. Amy, like a mother to me, uh, drove me out to see my bride. She was kind of the wedding planner for our wedding. So I'm on a golf cart, and blindfolded, and I'm shaking like a leaf, and she's kind of giving me a pep talk around me. I'm getting ready to go. So we do a first look. So I see my bride before the ceremony, and I'm standing with her behind me. She's all posed up my back's to her and uh, I hear one two three remove your blindfold and look at your bride so I turn around and I buckled under the weight of her beauty all of this preparation all of this planning came to a head in a moment where I locked eyes with my bride radiant all of the work the dress the hair decor everything came to a head in a moment. You see, church, John said that Jesus' bride, the church, should spend its entire Christian life preparing for that moment. But we don't prepare for salvation. We prepare because we are saved. Because we are in the hands of God, we say, I know the moment is coming. So I want to prepare. I want to present myself beautiful to the groom. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works that we walk in prepare us. Spending time with Jesus in his word prepares us. Spending time with the body of Christ through congregational worship prepares us. Spending time serving in some regard or some area of the church prepares us. Are you preparing? Because these tools, these good works, mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. So that we, the bride, are prepared for the wedding day. So I plead with you, church. Be faithful in preparing. Be holy. Be faithful to the groom. By resisting the seduction of the prostitute. The prostitute will try to seduce you. But we must resist in preparation for our groom. You see, but we don't... Prepare on our own. We can't resist the prostitute on our own standing. We resist the prostitute by the power of God. I want you to notice the fine linen that was given to the bride to wear. Given. She didn't bring it. She didn't make it. The Lord gave it to her. It is in his power that we are clothed in righteousness and purity This is a reference to Isaiah 61 and 62 where the prophet says, God gives his people, Israel, fine wedding garments, which are garments of righteousness. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 26, many of you have heard this passage of scripture before. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. This is important to note because church in heaven there is only perfection. There is only spotlessness. It's purity. It's righteous. And standing on our own accord, we can't be any of those things. So therefore, if I'm standing before God, I'm out. I haven't made the cut. But Jesus, but Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. You see, he also suffered in our place. And he died in our place. And he rose in our place. Defeating sin and death, giving to us these pure garments so that we could be a spotless bride. He cleanses us. It's not that I bring my own or, or the steamer or tied to go pins to clean our spots. It is by the blood of Jesus that we are righteous, that we are pure. And then the angel told John to write these words. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is reference to Isaiah 25, where Isaiah refers to the culmination of redemptive history as a feast. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6, says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make all 
uh, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of, of aged wine, well-refined. And he, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Hallelujah. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Church, I can promise you one thing. There won't be no PBR and green beans at this feast, at this, this wedding, all right? There will be ribeyes, the best rack of ribs, the, the, the best wine, all of those different things. You know, some of you out here at the creek have been bitten by this, this tick where you can't eat meat, so you're crying, Maranatha, get me to heaven so I can have a rack of ribs again. That day is coming in the wedding of his son. You see, but this wedding has a very... Uh, strict RSVP. If you're like me, who is terrible at responding to RSVPs, you want to respond to this one. You want to respond to this RSVP because this is a wedding you will not want to miss. You see, verse 8 focuses in on the church being the bride, but in verse 9 we see that us as individuals are the invited guests. So church, there is a personal invitation that you must personally respond to. Think about it this way. Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 22 and in Luke 14, we see Jesus tell a parable about a great wedding banquet that's, banquet that's going to take place. And a king invites a lot of people, but the people blew off his invitation. You see, those who blow off the invitation are those who'd rather serve the beast and lay with the prostitute. So the king tells his servants that everything is ready. But those who were invited, Israel, did not deserve to attend. So go into the streets. Invite everyone, both good and bad. It says the banquet hall was full. But I don't want you to miss this. It says Jesus says the king provided his guests with the appropriate wedding garments. That's why we can invite both good and bad. That's why the truth of there's no one too far gone for the gospel reigns true because it is not upon their own merit that they get to attend the wedding, that they have salvation. It is by the hand of God and through faith alone that he gives us new garments that they can come attend and sit. So church, Go share the gospel. Go tell people about the one who has washed you white as snow. Go tell people who has restored your marriage. Go tell people who has the one, about the one who has broken the chains of sin in your life. Go tell people about the one you long to see, King Jesus. So church, you have been invited to the wedding and the door is about to swing wide open. But are you ready? Are you ready? Have you prepared? Or are you prepared?
There's work to be done here. You see, yes, salvation is through God alone. But we have a hand in our sanctification. Because I can't just go to sleep on my Bible and wake up and it all be in my head. I gotta read it. See, the creator being outside of time could have given us whatever he wanted to to communicate. But he chose his word. He chose verbs and prepositions, sentence structures. And he says this is where you find me. Are you reading it? Are you allowing the word of God to mold you, to shape you, to heat you up to where Christ can lay you on his anvil and beat you to whatever shape he sees so fit? And hear me, church, the shape is the image of his son. Are you prepared? I want to close today with a beautiful sacrament known as communion. If you came in the doors this morning, you should have got a communion cup. Now, I have to say a few things about this. If you are a follower of Jesus within this room and you did not get a communion cup, raise your hand and Jordan will bring you one. We practice open communion here, meaning that you do not have to be a member of this church, but you do have to be a follower of Jesus. You do have to be a follower of Jesus. If you're in this room and you are not a follower of Jesus, I plead with you, do not take. It will not be awkward. It is perfectly fine. Praise God that you're here. You are not here by happenstance. And you've been invited to the wedding. So I'd love to talk with you after the service. But scripture also tells us that if you are not a follower of Jesus and you partake of communion, what you are doing is drinking judgment on yourself. So as a pastor of the church, and for the sake of your soul, I ask you not to take. If there is a child in the room that has never surrendered their life to Christ, I would ask of you not, parents, to not let them partake either. The same rules apply. But this is a beautiful, beautiful tool to present the gospel to them, to explain what these elements mean. I know my daughter was in the room last time I took communion with my family, and she said, juice! <laughs> That's all she wanted was the juice. But it was an opportunity for me to explain to her, no, baby, this is much, much more than that. This is a symbol so it's a beautiful, beautiful tool as a parent that you can use to share the gospel with your family. Okay, so what I want to do, the band is coming back up. We're going to step into a time where I want you to sit and reflect. I need you to repent of what you need to repent of before God. And I also want you to rejoice of what you can rejoice in before God. Contemplate, prepare your heart to partake in the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper. And in a moment, I will come back up and I'll lead us through taking these together. The beautiful thing to take communion as the body of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so undeserving to be in your presence. And Father, you saw that. So you came to us a people wallowing in the mud. And you said, I will redeem you. I will cleanse you. I will hold you in my arms. So Father, we thank you for that. God, I pray for your people here. That they would be vulnerable before you because you know everything already. 
May they confess sin. May they repent of the sin that is in their life. We all have it. And Father, I pray that in this time as we reflect that we would also see where we can rejoice because you are faithful, you are merciful, you are good, and you are true. You give to your children good things. And Father, if we claim to be a follower of you, we are your children. So Father, please, Holy Spirit, move in this place. Allow your children, the body of Christ, to sit, reflect, and respond in your precious and holy name. Amen.